Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. good to be together, isn't it? It's great when um, we're together, Tamworth and Stony are like this, together. Uh, Richard's over in Market Harbour this morning, so we pray for him as he shares there. He's going to do a great job. And we want to say hello to everybody who's listening on the podcast. Especially we want to say hello to Fico and his friends in Johannesburg, who are regularly listening to the podcasts, and wish them well. I wonder if you'd turn with me to the book of Revelation. The focus we're in at the moment um, within our big theme of the the cross and the crown, we're just giving particular attention at the moment to, to considering the power of the cross. The power of the cross. And um, we've looked at scriptures that talk about uh, the fact that the cross has power, but, but, but let's not empty the cross of any of its, of its effective power for us or, or in us or, or through us. Deborah shared on the, the powerful life that's ours through the cross. We've heard testimonies of the, the power of the cross. Richard shared last week on on the fact that we have to embrace the cross if we're to know victory, know, know a crown. And um, we're going to continue that theme, and next Sunday, Stefan will be ministering the word. And uh, then after that, I think Richard will be with us again, and then, and then William is going to minister. And then on the 2nd of July, just some advance notice, Roger Aubrey will be with us to share with us. So we've got a fantastic few weeks coming up. And um, ever since we began this series, there's been a topic I've wanted to share on, and it's this one. His many crowns. Because really, we've got our title wrong, haven't we? The cross and the crown. It, it really should be the cross and his crowns. And I've been uh, thinking of that hymn. I think it's by Matthew Bridges. Crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon the throne. And thinking of the, of the scripture, um, that, that line in that song, it's the opening line of that hymn, great hymn, and the, 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 the scripture that that line comes from, which we'll read in a minute, which is in the book of Revelation. Revelation is a, is a wonderful book. It's a beautiful book. It's a powerful, glorious, triumphant book in our Bibles, and many people stay away from it because they assume it's too confusing. Others uh, become obsessed with it, with the imagery and with the symbolism of this book, and um, can easily become sidelined or sidetracked or sometimes worse, trying to work it all out. But really, the book of Revelation, if you just have a look at the opening verse of it, is a beautiful vision or revelation that's given by the Spirit 
who is our comforter and our helper, and given to Jesus' best friend, John. John who wrote, wrote a gospel. John who wrote three epistles which appear just, just prior to the book of Revelation in the Bibles. And John whose emphasis in all his writings is on the love of God. And the original readers of this book were facing persecution and this book was intended to, in the vision that John sees, the revelation that he has, um, which is not so much John's revelation as, of, as Jesus' revelation of himself. It's a revealing of Jesus to John. And um, it was written to, to particular believers at, up to, at a particular time, but the Spirit intended that this would be as relevant and as helpful for us today as readers in any, at any time in history. It's written in a particular style, a particular genre, which is called apocalyptic. Uh, and that, that style of writing is full of images, full of numbers, full of symbols, full of pictures. Really, you know, this book's like a drama. It's, it's, like, it's like a painting or a drama and is not intended to be all taken literally, certainly not to be taken chronologically. And above all, it's not intended to say anything confusing. It's not intended to say anything scary. As the first verse tells us, the revelation of Jesus that God gave him to show his people. It's a revelation of Jesus. Nothing could be simpler. It's all about the cross and the crown. It's about the triumph of King Jesus. And I'd like to turn you to Revelation 19. And we'll read from verse 11, and the words are on the screen there. Wow. Feel free to return to your knees. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. And he wore a robe stained with blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. From his mouth came a sharp sword so that with it he might strike the nations. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. And he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A crown is a really powerful symbol, isn't it? A symbol of... Um, of rule, of government, of authority, of status, of, of honor, of glory. And any coronation, any crowning, 
of a king or, or, or of, of a queen is a massive event with a really powerful message given to everybody who, who hears of it or witnesses or, or, witnesses or sees it. And, and when you read in the Old Testament, the crowning of the kings was highly significant events. Um, the, word, the word crown or crowned is also used in the sense of um, the top of something, a, a crowning, a life crowned with, sort of a climatic thing, sort of an ultimate thing, a life that's crowned in a certain way, topped off, finished, honored, recognized. There's a little verse in, in Job where Job in, is lamenting all that, all that he, he is apparently lost at that time. And he says, he's stripped me of my honor. He's removed the crown from my head. Job's life, the blessings that he enjoyed were like a crowning. And um, in the New Testament, the word crown is used um, more than 20 times. And uh, in the Gospels, there are four references to the crown of thorns that were placed on Jesus' head. In the epistles, the letters that the apostles wrote, there are uh, several references. Paul talks about a crown that will never fade away, an imperishable crown. In Philippians and in Thessalonians, he talks about a crown of joy. In um, 2 Timothy, he talks about the victor's crown, crown of victory. Also talks about a crown of righteousness. In Hebrews, there's mention in reference both to, to mankind and to Jesus of a crown of glory and honor, Hebrews 2. James talks about the crown of life. And then when you get to the book of Revelation itself, there are um, several references to crowns. Again, there's a crown of life that the Smyrna church will receive. They're undergoing great pressures. But if they, if they stay with it, they'll receive a crown of life. And the Philadelphian church in Revelation 3 are, are, are promised um, also a crown if they stay faithful. This will be your reward. This will be your tribute. This will be your honor. And then, uh, you know, it speaks about the elders around the throne in Revelation 4 who wear, I think it says, wear gold crowns and and. Uh, Chris alluded to it earlier on. They later on, they remove their crowns. And then um, there's, a, there's a rider on a white horse. Before, before we meet Jesus, there's another rider on a white horse in, in uh, Revelation 6 who also goes out wearing a crown. And then there's an army of locusts. So remember, it's a drama. It's a, it's a picture. It's a, it's, a, it's a great big painting of something that's happening. There's an army of locusts who go out to torment God's enemies, and it also says they are wearing something like gold crowns on their heads. So this, this word recurs, and, and in all those cases, is there anybody in the room called Stephen? This is not a word of knowledge. <laughs> Stephanus. So Stephanus means crown. So in all these cases, the word used for crown is this word Stephanos. It's where... Stephen and Stephen's name comes from a crown. Wow, Stephen. In all those cases, that's the word that's used. In all those cases, the crown of thorns, the crowns that the elders wear, Paul talking metaphorically, as it were, about the crown of life, the crown of joy, the, 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 the unperishable crown. All those references use this word, Stephanos. 
And, and what it really means is more like a band around the head, a, more like a tiara, a, a, an emblem, a garland, something on the head that is like a crown. And um, it can have that sense of, of a symbol, a reward, a token, a token of, for service, a token of somebody's prowess, a token of honor, an emblem of life. That's what the word is. But there's another word used for crown, used only on three occasions. And that word is the word dia uh, demata, from which, from which we would get the word diadem. This is the royal crown. This is the royal crown. It's a mark of sovereignty. And Revelation 19, 12 tells us that on his head are, other versions literally say, many royal crowns. The ESV, if you're reading that this morning, or the NASB say, on his head are many diadems. It's a different word. And this word is used three times, all in Revelation. The first is in Revelation 12 and verse 3. And it tells us about a red dragon. Revelation 12. John sees this picture of a great fiery red dragon. Revelation 12 verse 3. Having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And it says other things about him. We'll come back to him in a moment. Revelation 13 tells us about a beast coming up out of the sea. And uh, verse 1, and he had ten horns and seven heads. So the, the dragon has seven heads and ten horns. The beast out of the sea has seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns were ten diadems. On his heads were blasphemous names. The, the dragon in Revelation 12 is specifically identified, when you look at verse 9 of Revelation 12, is specifically identified as the devil or Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. The beast in Revelation 13, who's just like the devil, same color, same horns, same heads. He is the Antichrist. What John describes in his first epistle as an Antichrist or, or what Paul describes in Thessalonians as a man of lawlessness. He is, if you like, an incarnation of the devil. He's a manifestation of evil. He does the devil's work for him. They're in league together when you read, when you read the drama. They're in league together. So those two, surprisingly, have diadems on their heads, as well as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who is faithful and true, the one who is wearing a blood-stained robe, the one riding a white horse, the one leading heaven's armies against every enemy, who is crowned with many crowns. So, are you with me? There are many references to garlands, only three to royal crowns, and you might be surprised at two of those 
So it's really important we understand the fate of those three. In Revelation 12, there is a war in heaven. And the archangel Michael and his angels prevail over the dragon. The dragon tried to devour the Son of God, it says. He claims to wear seven royal crowns. But he's a deceiver. He's a usurper. He's a thief. They were never his to wear. And when you read Revelation 12, you find he is utterly defeated in that war and he's cast out or thrown out of heaven and thrown down to earth. When you read on in Revelation 13, you find the beast and the dragon are working together and the dragon gives power and authority to the beast. But remember, the beast is a blasphemer. He's a counterfeiter. There's even on his, on his um, I think it's on his forehead, there, is, there are the signs of a fake resurrection. It says it looks as if he's slain and come back to life. He's a deceiver. He's a counterfeiter. He's a parody. To use the modern parlance, he's a fake He's a fake, and he, he acts as if he has the right to wear ten crowns. But he's a fake. When you get into Revelation 19 and 20, you find an angel announces a final battle. Revelation 19, verses 17, the angel announces the battle. And then you find verses 19, the, the beast and his allies try to wage war against Christ and his heavenly army. But they're taken captive. And in Revelation 19, verse 20, they're thrown into a lake of fire. Then the dragon is seized. And he's thrown into an abyss for a thousand years. I'll come on to that in a moment. Verse, chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3. And during those thousand years, the saints and the martyrs reign with the Messiah. And then you read ahead to Revelation 20, verses 7 and onwards, and find that the dragon is also thrown into the lake of fire. And then there's the final judgment of the living and the dead. I'm not here to do a Bible study on the book of Revelation. Well, that would be interesting. But just to say this, the devil and his claimed crowns are burned up in the lake of fire. Yeah. The Antichrist, the manifestation of evil, and his fake crowns, his counterfeit crowns, are burned up in the lake of fire. Much has been written about Revelation 20 and the thousand years. In my view, these are not just future events. When Jesus went to the cross, he clearly stated, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Revelation, uh, John 12, verse 31. We read that a few weeks ago. In the New Living Translation, John 12, 31 says, the time 
for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Jesus said that as he went to the cross. Folks, the rule of God's kingdom is here and now. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come amongst you. The kingdom of God has come amongst us. Satan is already bound. Jesus says, unless the strong man is tied up, nobody can enter his home. The strong man is tied up. Satan is bound. In Luke 10, when the disciples have gone on their mission, he says, I I watched Satan fall like lightning from the sky. I believe we're living in the millennial age in which he's bound, in which the gospel will triumph. Jesus said, nothing will prevail against the church. The cross was the great battleground. The conflict with the devil, the conflict with every manifestation of evil, reached its climax at the cross, where every demonic spirit came together to try and kill him. And as I said before, what was actually happening was the Lord of life was drawing every evil power, every aspect of the curse upon himself. He was wearing a diadem made of thorns, symbol of the curse. He's wearing the curse upon his head and he's dying under the weight of all he's taking upon himself and he disarmed them and he dethroned them and he disabled them and he was Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he disgraced them publicly, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Jesus shed our humanity so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. By his death. 1 John 3 verse 8, John again. The Son of God was revealed, revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. I've said this before. When Jesus hung on the cross and cried, it is finished, he's not referring to his life. He's referring to his work. It is finished. He's referring to his work on the cross. The era of the influence of the ruler of this world is finished. His ultimate fate is the lake. But he's already bound. I don't believe he's in the lake yet, but that's his ultimate fate. The lake of fire, the lake of sulfur, whatever that is, whatever that dramatic picture is describing for us. In Genesis, we read this a few weeks ago. It says of Jesus and the the serpent, Jesus, it says, will strike his head. When Jesus went to Golgotha to be crucified, Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, that place was God's chosen destination to crush his head and remove his crowns. So that in the end, there's only one left wearing a royal crown. There's only one left wearing a royal crown. And he doesn't just wear one crown. He wears many, many crowns. 
I love the fact that John can count the crowns of the dragon. He can count the crowns of the beast. But when he sees Jesus, he can't count his crowns. All he can say, all he can see is he was wearing many crowns. Wearing many crowns upon his head. The one who is faithful and true, the risen, the ascended, the word of God, the one, the one wearing a blood-stained robe, the one wearing a white horse and leading heaven's armies out, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's wearing not just one, but many crowns. I think John specifically, in, in, in Revelation 12, 9, where he says the dragon is, and, it, and it's, it's a funny phrase he uses, to describe, to, to, to identify this dragon. He says, the great dragon was thrown out. The ancient serpent, who's called the devil and Satan. He, he wants us to be in no doubt who this is. The dragon, that's, that's how he sees him. He's not a dragon, it's, that's just an image. That's, that's to encapture something of him, fiery red dragon. But he says, he, who is the serpent, the ancient serpent, the one that was there in the beginning. Well, not the beginning, but our beginning. The one who is called the devil, serpent. Um, serpent literally sort of means tempter. Devil means slanderer. Satan means adversary. I think John wants us to see, Jesus wants John to see, so John can help us to see that all the slandering, all the accusation, all the adversarial attacks upon us. He wears no crowns anymore. No temptation, no slander, no adversary has dominion over us anymore. He's being crushed by the one who wears so many crowns. Folks, we must not let anything rob us of the power of the cross. We mustn't let anything rob us of the power of the cross. We mustn't get overly concerned about uh, the imagery, about the numbers, about the symbolism. The book's full of numbers. A thousand, is, a thousand is a big number. The book is full of symbolism, full of numbers. We mustn't get bogged down. We, we certainly shouldn't get bogged down trying to work out a chronology in here. I think there is one, and we could talk about that another day, but, but we needn't try and work out things literally, things in, in, in exactly the order um, that we read about them. We mustn't be concerned about identifying who is this Antichrist. Is it a man? Is it a system? Is it a government? Is it, was it the EEC? E, 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 used to be called, didn't it? So many people have, have, have tried to identify what it, who, is, who or what is this Antichrist. That's not the point. The point is, King Jesus has triumphed totally, and now and forever he wears so many crowns, they can't be counted. The cross has power because Jesus has triumphed over every enemy. Because he wore a garland of thorns, that wasn't his crown. That was a garland of thorns. That's why the word diadem is not used. That wasn't his royal crown. He took upon himself that garland, that tiara, that emblem of thorns, and he triumphed over everything related with the curse. Sin and temptation. 
suffering and sadness, sickness and disease, anxiety and depression, all injustice, all unfairness, poverty, need, death itself. He wears so many crowns. His dominion is universal. His kingdom is over all things. Prophet Isaiah said of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. No end of increase. When you go back to Revelation 19 and you just read the description of Jesus. Still on the board. In a minute. Back on the board. Any minute now. Neil, put the verses up. He's on a white horse. That's, that's the color of victory and triumph. And his name is Faithful and True. I love that. He, he's pleasing his father all the time. He's, he's fulfilling his mission. He's faithful. He's true. And he judges and he makes war in righteousness. He's not vindictive. But he acts in purity and integrity. I think the NIV says injustice. He makes war in justice. Don't you love the fact that he has a name that nobody knows? Jesus has a name that none of us in this room have ever even conceived of. Jesus has a name none of us know. And then again it says he's, he's called the Word of God. He's the full expression of God's will. He's exalted over all. We sing a song, don't we? Your word will, out, will outlast all that you've created, I think the line is. something like Jesus has the name that will outlast everything because the Word of God endures forever. He's leading heaven's armies. Oh, that battle. When the dragon was cast out and a third of the angels went with him. And Jesus is on his horse, followed by heaven's armies. But then it says he, he has a sharp sword in his mouth. He, he, there's something coming out of his mouth that brings victory. His word brings victory. He speaks victory. The word that created all things brings victory everywhere. It says he'll shepherd the nations with an iron scepter. Complete authority. Complete justice. And he will administer the wrath of God. That's a wrath against sin, not against people. A wrath against sin. A wrath against the devil and all his allies. He administers the wrath of God. And then it says, and in, in the Holman Bible, which I highly recommend, this is in a box. King of kings and Lord of lords. With a box around it. So what does all this mean for us, folks? Well, what doesn't it mean? Would you turn with me to Isaiah 61? The Lord wants to minister right here, right now. A practical outworking. Have you followed me? He wears many crowns. And in the final say, he's the only one. He's the only one wearing a royal crown. The others were fake, claimed, aspired to, but only Jesus wears 
the royal crown. And he wears not just one, but many. So what does this mean for us practically? I, I believe this morning there's a great exchange that the Lord wants to take place. In Isaiah 61, by the way, today in, in, the, in the sort of traditional church calendar, today, today is Pentecost Sunday. Of course, every day is Pentecost Day. But, but you know, the, the, the crowning act of Jesus' earthly ministry was the sending of the Spirit. The crowning act of that era of Jesus coming, being incarnated and living and dying and being buried and being risen again and and ascending to heaven. He was in heaven at that point. But his final crowning act of his earthly ministry was to pour out his Spirit on his people. Pentecost. And Jesus, um, well, the prophet, in anticipation of that, and Jesus specifically picks up this verse and reads from the scroll where this is written. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Would you just say with me, instead of? Instead of. That's that's God's heart for us this morning, instead of. Instead of. Crown of beauty, garland, emblem, put upon you. Instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. What does this mean for us? It means we can receive something we never deserved instead of something we did deserve. It means we who deserved a crown of thorns are lifted and elevated and we find he's placed some other crowns on our heads instead of. It means that because he wears so many royal crowns, we can be crowned, garlanded in so many ways. That word Stephanos it means to sort of, to surround. I love that, because it, I think the Lord wants to crown us in the way that we're surrounded with. Joy, life, righteousness, victory, imperishable, an imperishable crown. And therefore it means this morning, friends, that you and I can receive a crown of joy a garland of joy because he defeated sorrow and sadness and he's been crowned with a royal crown, king of joy. You can be crowned this one. You can wear your crown today. It means we can wear the crown of victory, which Paul talks about in Timothy, because he's won the battle. 
because he wears the royal crown of victory, because he is the victorious king. It means we can wear the garland, we can be surrounded with righteousness, the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, because Jesus conquered every sin, every temptation, every every aspect of self-effort, of trying so hard. Don't let the cross rob you of its power. Don't try to save yourself. Let the cross do its work. We can be surrounded by righteousness because King Jesus wears the royal diadem of righteousness. We can wear a crown of glory Hebrews 2, we do wear a crown of glory. The the human race has been crowned with glory and honor. You can enjoy that today. There's no shame. There's honor and glory and dignity for the people of God. And how about this? We can wear the crown of life. The crown of life. Because he overcame sickness and disease and death itself. And he's been crowned with a royal crown, king of life. It means the tempter, it means the the slanderer, the adversary has no real power over us. You can wear your crown today. It means we can be surrounded by these things. It means we're in awe of him. It means that like those elders, we will kneel and we will want to remove those crowns because we see that he alone wears the royal crown only to find he wants to lift us up and he wants us to enjoy wearing them because he wants his glory to be on display for the whole world to see. Wear your crown with dignity, without boasting, But nevertheless, with your head held high, crown of life, crown of joy, crown of victory, crown of righteousness, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, a crown of festivity instead of mourning, a crown of splendid clothes instead of despair. Isn't Jesus wonderful this morning? Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.